Thank you, Mr Chairman. You have been listening to the Senate confirmation hearing for Jerome Powell, the Federal Reserve Governor, in his pursuit of being confirmed as the next Federal Reserve Chairman. This, of course, is Bloomberg Radio, and you are listening to The Cable. And I'm very pleased to say, joining me is Ken Vexler, Director of Acumen Management, and Richard Jones, FX and Rate Strategist here at Bloomberg. Rich, what did we learn in the last, I don't know, two and a half hours? Uh, the new Fed chair is very adapted to answering questions the way his predecessors have, which is to say, uh, very indirectly and uh, and uh, asking leaving as many questions unanswered as as answered. I would say, Ken. Oh, he's got the patience of a saint. Uh, and <laughs> to be honest, I uh, I didn't spend two and a half hours watching that. I watched it via the medium of Twitter. I don't I was blame a free you. rider in this situation. I don't blame you. And I look at the situation at the moment. I wonder who's got the harder job, Rich. Is it um, Chair Yellen in her semi-annual testimony tomorrow who has to sit through this for hours? Or is it Governor Carney in front of the Treasury Select Committee? Or was it Mr. Powell today? Well, I think they're all pretty challenging, aren't they? And, and you know, anytime you get uh, central bankers testifying to, uh, to policymakers or to... to to politicians, it's always going to be a, there's going to be a lot of political point scoring going on. There's going to be a lot of of, uh, of of back and forth that that is sort of beyond what you'd see as the remit of of any central banker. You know, yeah. and, I, and I think one of the interesting things is if if I can take away one uh, one thing from what Powell said today that might be of interest to the markets is where he said if inflation path is deemed lower. The Fed can hike more slowly because, of course, they're going through that whole is weak inflation that we see now transitory or is it more structural? That's a, that's a debate that's been going on. The market is sort of following on, the, on, on it being more structural and not something transitory. It's interesting to hear Powell say that, that if, if, if it is something that's more than just transitory, that they can hike more slowly. Ken, Powell says the case for a December hike is coming together. This all kind of makes sense. Is the new Fed chair going to be a lot like the old Fed chair? Well, based on what limited exposure to his thought process we've had so far, it's, it, the answer, in, you know, succinctly is yes. Uh, the case for a Fed uh, for a December hike, yeah, well, that's baked in. The market's priced that north of ninety-seven percent, so we're done. Uh, and I think next year, be it obviously, it's no longer Yellen, but it will be most likely Powell. I think he's just going to assess the economy and the underlying state of it, and and act accordingly. I think market pricing three hikes or looking at the dot plot for three next year is probably over the top. Two seems reasonable based on the trajectory we're seeing at the moment. We'll see if the data supports more than, than is the case. But for now, I think it's more of the same. Rich, do you sense at this point that the biggest change won't be in monetary policy, but it could well be in banking regulation? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that is probably the key takeaway from from. Powell being uh, proposed as the next Senate uh, head of the uh, Fed, and it is yeah. going to be on the regulatory side rather than on the actual monetary policy side, policy side, where we should see some continuity. Richard Jones of Bloomberg over in Berlin, sticking with us alongside Ken Vexler of Acumen Management. He'll stay with us as well. Next up on the cable, bullish economists predicting the fastest expansion since 2011 for next year. The OECD saying this could be as good as it gets before we get there a check on traffic weather and all the news you need to wrap up your day for the city of london across the capital on dab digital radio you are listening to bloomberg radio this is the cable this is the cable 
with Jonathan Farrell on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the beautiful city of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. London having a stormer at the close. The FTSE 100 up by one full percentage point. In the United States, record highs across the board on the Dow, the S&P 500 and on the Nasdaq as well. One of the big stock stories today, you'll find that in Shell, Bringing back a full cash dividend, the stock up by four percentage points at the close. That's one of the big gainers on the FTSE 100 in London. Elsewhere in the FX market, really quiet day in G10. Euro dollar kind of treading water a little bit weaker. More broadly, it's a stronger dollar story. And you see that against the pound. The pound a lot weaker today by about six or seven tenths of one percent to 132.32. No doubt helping that lift that you can feel on the footsie today. In a bond market, after Jay Powell has spoken, who is set to become the next Federal Reserve chairman, the yield curve is flatter. We're down by two basis points on a 10-year at 231 on a US 10-year. All of that action in the Treasury market, despite a backdrop of improving global growth and forecasts for even better global growth. Economists publishing their 2018 outlooks. We've had it from Goldman Sachs and Barclays. Proven to be the most bullish. They are both predicting global growth will reach 4% next year. That would be the strongest since 2011 and up from the 3.7% that Goldman Sachs estimated for this year. This morning, Bloomberg's Francine Lacqua spoke with Tijan Tiaf, Chief Executive Officer at Credit Suisse, who also had a positive outlook for the world economy. We are very positive about the world economy. Uh, we're very positive about the U.S., um, very positive about emerging markets and within that China, and uh, noticeably very positive about Europe, which is new, uh, because with uh, the election of Mr. Macron and the turn of things in, in France, you have a, a Franco-German engine there that can power the, the, the European economy forward. So the key thing in this comment is the synchronicity, the synchronicity of all this. For once, we have the three major economic zones doing well at the same time. If you look at what are we focused on, uh, we think CAPEX, capital expenditures, uh, is back and very strongly. That's a major shift in the world economy and it can create a scenario where you can have both uh, high growth with low inflation because productivity gain, back to our topic, fills the gap. Okay? So if you, if you invest in capital and productivity grows, you can get into a very healthy growth scenario. We also, after CAPEX, the other big theme I was concerned about was QE. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. Quexit, if I want to use a, a term, a exit of QE, I think that's been well managed. Uh, there because are, it's slow. It's slow, it's gradual, it slow, and yeah. the communication around it is very good to drive market expectations so that we don't have an accident. When asset prices and asset valuations are as high as they are, it's important to almost take the investor by the hand and not surprise him or her. Ken Vexler, are you going to be using the term Quexit anytime soon? No. No, didn't think so. (laughs) Can we talk a little bit about how to leverage this global growth story in the FX market? Yeah, look, I think what's important, at least from my perspective here, is to understand that while there is certainly global growth, and, and he hit the nail on the head there, there is an element of synchronicity. I think we need to understand that it's not as amazing as everyone wants to make it out to be. Like, yeah. I'm not downplaying it, but having said that, you know, people are looking at 4%, I'll be happy with 3 and 3 uh, against the backdrop of where we've been and what we've done. It's good. It's not amazing. It's not rubbish. So I think in terms of their sex, I think you need to 
like always, be weary of positioning and getting too ahead of yourself. Uh, and within that, I think EM is going to play an enormous role because uh, the US dollar may or may not do a whole lot. We know what the euro is likely to do. Um, yeah. So as a consequence, high yielders are going to be looking for EM. So I think the risk, if anything, on uh, on next year is an over-exuberant uh, directional EM play. So with that in mind, Q1, Q2 might look good. Q3 could see a run for the doors. So that, that's something to be wary of. Well, Ken, something I'm thinking about a number of years ago, if you'd said, give me a proxy, a nice proxy to capture global growth, I would have said... It was your currency. It was the Aussie. The Aussie Mm. has got weaker over the last three, going into four months now, I believe. Uh, And I'm just wondering Mm. why. We had weakness through September, October, November. I don't know what is in store for December, of course. But what is behind the weakness in the Aussie when really that should be leveraging the global growth story? Well, I mean, the the global growth story is is in its infancy. And I think if if you're truly buying into it, you're probably a little too early in the play. As far as the Aussie is concerned, I mean, when we were trading north of 80 cents against the greenback, sort of late summer, August, September, that was well and truly overvalued. So I think that was nothing more than carry monkeys looking for exactly that. When reality set in and the dollar resumed a bit of its uh, upside, the US dollar, then, then the Aussie came back to what is more or less its current sweet spot based on underlying domestic fundamentals. Yeah. So I think within sort of 1% of, of where we are now, up or down, makes sense until such time as we get fresh elections in Australia in, uh, in Q1 of next year. We're going to have another nice year for, for EM, Rich? Well, yeah, I, I, if, if this whole global growth story is, uh, does have legs, and, and, and I think the interesting, the, the point that, that Ken highlighted, I think, is, is important, is, is that it is a sort of a coordinated sort of thing now. I mean, even Europe is coming to the party, and we haven't been able to say that for a very long time. Then I guess EM will probably do all right out of that. You know, I think in the developed uh, world, uh, the one trade that I've been banging on about a little bit uh, of late is is a stronger euro against the pound, um, and and I think the point that Tijan Tian made was 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 quite important is that you're getting a proper Franco-German axis developing now where you're actually getting both of those two big economies in Europe rowing in the same direction, some political cooperation. Both economies are doing really well. Um, the, the 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 macroeconomic backdrop in Europe is uh, is as, as strong as it's been in ten yeah. years. Um, and you've got the you've got the whole Brexit narrative that I think I, I fail to see positive narratives from that unless everything changes from the UK in terms of the way they approach Brexit. Euro sterling to me looks like the like the, like a pair that's poised to push a lot higher. Even though it's already close to ninety pence, gents, it's been great to catch up with you. Um, if you've got any complaints about how little time we spent speaking to you today, please address <laughs> those letters to the um, to the Senate Banking Committee, who spoke to the future chairman of the Federal Reserve, potentially the future chair, for over two hours. Gents, thank you very much. Next up on the program, we take it to the United States. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio.
Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.30pm in the city. Let's whip through some of the market action for you. A really decent session on the FTSE 100 today up by over one full percentage point. Shell, Royal Dutch Shell, the oil major, returning its full cash dividend and closing out the session higher by 4 percent. That's given the FTSE a nice little lift and I can tell you that Shell was the biggest gainer on the FTSE 100 today. The best day on the FTSE since July of this year. It's been that good and the gain's not just down to individual stocks. Really the move exacerbated by what was happening in the FX market. A weaker pound story emerges. A stronger dollar more broadly in G10. The pound buying you about 132.33 against the US dollar down by about 6 or 7 tenths of 1 percent. For Euro dollar for anyone watching that currency pair worldwide 118.82 a stronger dollar there as well though less pronounced um, against the euro than against the pound in the bond market this is what we look like in treasuries the yield curve flatter once again I'll debate that and have a discussion about it in a moment on this program 10 year yields coming in two basis points almost to 231 on a US 10 year we've had a trading range on 10 year yields on treasuries of I think about 11 basis points over the last month that's how tight things have been so that gives you an idea of what this market looks like just having a quick look at commodities for you Brent and WTI marginally weaker today let's get you some top stories and say hello to Charlie Pellet, who also is sending a complaint to the Senate Banking Committee for um, for talking so long, Charlie. Uh, yeah, because it cut into the program yeah, today. We, and missed, I, we I, missed you at the top uh, of the hour, uh, sir. And, and I missed what you had to offer during yeah, the first half hour. I, so. I don't know what Jay Powell and, and co. had to offer through that 10 minutes. but um, I, I actually did enjoy listening to that, but I enjoy listening to you more. Thank All right, you. here's what's going on from the news desk. Trade Secretary Liam Fox says the UK has gone far enough for Brexit negotiations to move on to trade. He spoke to Bloomberg in Sydney. He says the UK wants a trade deal with the EU, but could live without one. The UK and EU want to reach an agreement on outstanding issues by next month, so trade talks can begin. In Washington, two Republican senators are threatened to hold up passage of the tax bill. Senators Ron Johnson and Bob Corker say they may not agree to vote the measure out of committee today. That would jeopardize plans for a full Senate vote this week. And one of Bitcoin's biggest bulls on Wall Street spoke at a New York conference today. Galaxy Investment Partners founder Mike Novogratz called this the biggest bubble of our lifetimes. He thinks Bitcoin will come away as the winner, but none of them will ever become currencies. That is the latest from the news desk. Jonathan Farrell, back to you. I just love Novogratz. He's calling it the biggest bubble in a lifetime and he's chasing it higher. He's, he's, <laughs> he's buying it. Exactly. He had a year-end target of 10,000. It should have been a weekend target of 10,000 because we are just south of that at 9,900 right now and came pretty darn close to it earlier today at 9,940. Charlie, we'll let you go. You'll be back. You're always welcome back. I want to stick you. around and talk about Bitcoin. You, you can if you want. Well, <laughs> you want, you want to bubble or Bitcoin? no bubble? Well, uh, I, I don't weigh in because I think we've been calling it a bubble for like the last five years. <laughs> I don't want to call the top here. Well, I remember when Paris Hilton pushed forward an ICO, um, what they called initial coin offerings on, on Twitter. And I quote tweet it and said, um, this feels toppy. Um, and then we've gone up a few thousand since then, Charlie. So because, what do I know? Because Paris Hilton was weighing in on Bitcoin? Well, or I, just because... thought, I just thought that was the top once Paris weighed in on Bitcoin, but apparently not. Yeah, it scares me. It really does. It's, but on the other hand, it scares me partly through ignorance. I, yeah. I don't feel that I have my arms fully around Bitcoin. Well, I I'm, don't I'm understand I'm you've said that because it takes someone really honest to say that that's really what it is. And I, I will join you. I'll say plus one. It's ignorance on my side as well. 
and I think what's really interesting about this, Mike Regan, who joins us in the New York studio, is that because Wall Street's the last one in, whenever someone from Wall Street talks about Bitcoin, they're not being judged by their peers anymore because their peers aren't really that closely associated to what's happening here. This was a retail phenomenon, driven, driven really majority, coming out of Asia. And the, and, and the real Bitcoin geeks aren't on Wall Street. They're in a dorm room somewhere. Um, posting blogs on Reddit. <laughs> that's that's probably right. My favorite from the Novogratz comments was he said something uh, along the lines of some 88-year-old woman called him up and said, I got I got $200,000, wow. my entire nest egg. I want to wow. put it all in Bitcoin. <laughs> when, did, when did she call? <laughs> and it, so, uh, yeah, it's a good question. They didn't say what price she called at. But, um, yeah, I mean, so I don't know if it's Wall Street's the last one in or the 88-year-old ladies with uh, 200,000 to, to blow it's not an 88-year-old with 200K. I, I worry, yeah, I wonder. Okay. I mean, look, like Charlie said, Wall Street's main problem with it is how the heck do you value this thing? It just seems like an, an impossible thing to value. And some of the best in the valuation business have tried and sort of you know, shrug, shrug their shoulders as well. I think if you look at some of – uh, the real where the really hot trading is done. We had a blog post earlier talking about Venezuela. Uh, yeah, real lot of volume in Venezuela, uh, in Asia. So it, it, it has its purpose. The question is, um, how legal is this sort of cross border? trading and sort of skirting your typical it's, it's a good way of navigating capital controls in a place like china right and we've and seen we've seen the demand booming in right. Asia, and i wonder if it, that's because of so, exactly that yeah and and how long so to me that's the risk how long do all the governments allow that to happen um or do they just sort of keep ignoring it? I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. It's 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 a it's a big risk. Um, well, if you think about it as a medium for exchange, I had a conversation with someone just just the other day who said it's so risky for for any retailer to um, uh, accept Bitcoin from the consumer. And I actually thought, well, actually, it's really risky for the consumer to, to trade in Bitcoin. Why would you ever Because why it? would I want to give yeah. it to a retailer for a depreciating asset when Bitcoin could go up $1,000 right. over the next week? And, and Charlie, I think it's for that reason that the, there is very little stability in this market that you can't really call this a currency. And, and, and to your point about the kid in the dorm room on a blog pushing Bitcoin, it takes me back to the to the crazy days of the dot-com bubble. Yeah. And I remember a lot of older money managers would come into Bloomberg and they were poo-pooing the whole idea of internet stocks. And I really think that there was an age thing going on there where they could not embrace what was happening with the internet. Yeah. And likewise, this is what scares me about but, Bitcoin. But I think that's Novogratz's point as well. He's basically said that. He's on the record as saying yeah. that people are too old on Wall Street to understand it. His message, though, really interesting. It picks up on the dot-com bubble. For every bubble, there is this big change to the world. So in the dot-com bubble, for instance, yes, there were some really inflated internet companies, but the internet did change the world. The railroad bubble, yes, there were some really overvalued companies, but the railroad did change the world. And I think we've seen this again and again and again in economic history. And this is Mike Novogratz's point, that blockchain will change the world, at least as far as many of these people are concerned. It's just that the, the vehicles that ride the highway, so to speak, the cryptocurrencies, 
won't be around. But if I told you in 1997 that these tech companies were overvalued, you could have said, Charlie, yes, they're overvalued. The problem is that they carried on rallying for another three, four years, <laughs> right. and you missed out on all the upside. Uh, and and Novogratz is buying into it for that reason. He's saying, this is going to be the biggest bubble ever, and I want the upside. <laughs> and I will leave you with one brief thought, and that, is, and that is tulips and tea are identical to what they were 400 years ago when yeah. we saw those bubbles. I'm not sure if tulips changed the world. Either. Yelena Shudosieva joining us around a table, senior US economist for Bloomberg Intelligence. I'm not going to make a talk about Bitcoin. She's far too sophisticated to be talking about <laughs> bubbles in cryptocurrencies. We're going to get her thoughts on nominee for Federal Reserve chair position, the future chairman potentially, Jay Powell and his Senate confirmation hearing. We'll bring you some highlights from that, and we'll get the inside of Bloomberg Intelligence with Yelena Shiletseva. That's coming up in just a moment. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio across the capital, across DAB Digital Radio. This is The Cable. is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Hello, hello to the City of London. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.40 in the city. The big event today was down in D.C. for Global Markets. Federal Reserve Chair nominee Jerome Powell said the case for a December interest rate increase is coming together as economic conditions support such a move. Powell made the remarks today at a Senate Banking Committee hearing to consider his nomination to succeed Fed Chair Janet Yellen, who will speak tomorrow. So it's going to be like the compare and contrast, and we can do that over the next two days. Here are some comments he made at the hearing earlier. Now the economy is strong, unemployment is low, growth is strong. In fact, it appears to have been picked up. And uh, so it's time for us to be normalizing uh, interest rates and, and the size of the balance sheet as well. I will say, though, Senator, I think that the case for, you know, for raising interest rates at our next meeting is coming together. I just would plan, if confirmed, to, uh, to follow in the footsteps of uh, distinguished prior chairs and of our long tradition, really, to assure that we do conduct monetary policy and financial regulatory policy by the way, uh, with, with, without a view to political outcomes, but with a, with a view solely to the right answers. From our standpoint, cryptocurrencies are something we monitor very carefully. We actually look at blockchain as something that may have significant applications in the, in the wholesale payments part of the economy. We don't see wages signaling any tightening, any tightness in the labor market. There's no sense of an overheating economy or a particularly tight uh, labor market. That was Federal Reserve Chair nominee Jay Powell speaking at the Senate Banking Committee confirmation hearing. Yelena, what did we learn today from Jay Powell? Can I say nothing? No, you, no absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, you absolutely can. Absolutely. I mean, uh, that was very uneventful as expected. So he uh, just stuck to the script, uh, really uh, stuck to the script of the previous uh, Fed chair, uh, Chair Yellen, uh, he confirmed that uh, he's going to be basically Yellen to uh, point zero. Yeah. So it's it's really um, a continuation of monetary policy that uh, we have had so far. Was this a hearing where we'd learn a little bit more about banking regulation? Is that where there's a difference here? I think 
think uh, the expectation uh, on the street was for uh, Jay Powell to be a little bit more relaxed about regulation and yeah. to, you know, but the the two things that he was talking about is uh, the regional banking and as well as the Volcker rule. These things have been uh, in discussion for quite some time now, and mm-hmm. it's not something that he is going to change uh, in a big way. We're talking about like, little adjustments here and there but not a big overhaul of or deregulation in fact he he just said uh, uh during the hearing during the q a session that uh he would not call it deregulation he huh. he sticks to the yeah to the same kind of i again. wonder whether this has been one of the big non-stories of of 2017 i've been exploring that with guests over the last couple of days that there were so many concerns about what the president of the united states would do to change the federal reserve it's not changing, Yelena. So why why did he uh, change Yellen? Why did he not uh, just yeah. renominate her? Other than for political reasons, right? So it's really going to be a continuation of the policy that uh, we have had. So. Michael, there's nothing new here. And for the people worried about the spare board seats on, on the FOMC that the president can populate next year and now, to be honest, should they be worried in any way, shape or form? Well, I, I think the market reaction today was, was sort of interesting to Powell because, um, you know, uh, investors felt like they they were confident uh, that they knew where he stood. Uh, like uh, Yelena said, Yellen 2.0. I'm not sure the confidence was at 100 percent, though. There were still some question marks about where exactly he stood. Um, so they, you know, they got that confirmation from this hearing, not to not to use that wordplay uh, on purpose, but um. And, you know, they <laughs> you know, you know, it takes you a little while to get something. Carry on. Yes. You've got 20 seconds. And he certainly made it clear that he's not going to be any tougher as far as regulations go. He's not going to be pushing for tougher regulations. So yeah. the, the bank stocks perk up a little bit on that. Michael Regan, senior editor and league blogger for Markets Live. Yelena Shuletieva, senior U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence. Stand with me. Next up, a look ahead to the rest of the week ahead. We're approaching December. Where did that come from? This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. You are listening to The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. It's just gone 5.48. You know when a friend of yours gets married and all they talk about is their wedding, but you don't really care? (laughs) You know, have you ever had those friends? We've all had those friends. We've all had those friends. And uh, this is a wedding which you've got no choice but to listen to because um, everywhere you go, everywhere you go (laughs) in a news bulletin, it's a countdown to a wedding in May. Well, let me ask you, who are more fascinated with the royals? Americans. Of course. Why is that, I wonder? I've got no idea because you don't have one. (laughs) It's just another celebrity. That's what it is. Here's a headline that does matter. The UK and the EU have reached an agreement on the Brexit divorce bill. This is according to The Telegraph. Just crossing the Bloomberg right now. I'm going to try and get you a number, but this is just crossed that the EU and the UK have reached an agreement on the Brexit divorce bill. I'm looking at the price action in the FX market initially, sterling with a nice little pop off the back of this. We are now unchanged on the day. We were down by six or seven tenths of one percent. The headline crossing, according to the Telegraph, they have reached an agreement on the divorce bill. A nice little turn in cable off the back of this. Uh, Michael Regan. How important is that? 
Well, uh, like you said, look at Cable. Nice little bounce there. Um, it certainly relieves uh, a little bit of anxiety, I think. I mean, um, like any divorce, though, you never really know when it's over exactly. <laughs> so, but if you think about the three issues that they needed to address, one was the divorce bill. The other was uh, the border with Ireland. The third was the rights of EU citizens. It doesn't appear to me that they've uh, solved the other two, even if they've agreed on this one. Right. So stand by for more headlines, I guess, is the, is the action. And now I'm looking at cable. Uh, it's hanging in there. Yeah, it's hanging in there. Yeah. Yelena, Brexit was such a big deal for, for the world when the news crossed, but seemingly in the United States, it's just not even on the radar anymore. No, we have our own things, you know, like the change in the Fed. Uh, we have uh, tax uh, reform uh, coming along or not um but uh you know just uh, looking at the u.s we are far ahead of uh the others in terms of uh tightening uh, monetary policy and uh, that seems like it's going to remain the case going forward even though uh the economy is growing not probably as great uh, as uh you know it is supposed to at this uh, time. So I think it's just, uh, you know, looking at different countries, looking at uh, Brexit issues uh, in a whole global picture and just uh, try to figure out what, uh, you know, happens to monetary policy. Uh. I mean, my, my thoughts are just as to whether politics actually matter to investors right now, full stop. And quite clearly on the screen, when you see cable move like that, Mike, you can draw a line and say, yes, the politics matter. But for most of the year, so far that hasn't really been the story at all well and today is that in a nutshell i mean you look at the news coming out of washington first we had uh president trump tweeting that uh there's not gonna he he doesn't think there'll be a deal to avert a government shutdown at the end of next week and the market blew that off then uh the two top democrats in congress uh basically walked out on the meeting with him to discuss it because they were insulted by that tweet and the stock market continued to rally you did see a little bit of risk aversion in in treasury yields came down but um you know, and there's something to be said for the idea that a government shutdown is not necessarily a, a cause for concern that there'll be a massive sell-off in the stock market. We've we've seen it before in the past, and yes, there's a little bit of weakness surrounding it, but it's usually short-lived, and you know, every everyone goes on. But that said, uh, it's just such a volatile political time. It, it's it's amazing how the market has learned to basically ignore it to some degree. Um, you know, I don't. I, 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 be very surprising if we saw the Senate actually vote on this tax bill this week. You know what surprises me a, a, a lot is uh, uh, that consumer confidence keeps surging yeah. despite of all this news of political bickering and whatever. So just consumers just uh, seem to be happy no matter what. And but why uh, haven't we seen that consumer confidence translate into to bigger retail sales? Why haven't we seen the business confidence translate into to higher wages and more capex? Why hasn't that happened? Probably because because uh, consumers, and let's let's just talk about consumers uh, for a second, uh, they are quite uh, you know happy with what they have right now because they were so much hurt uh, during the the last recession. Yeah. So now with the unemployment rate so low and things uh, kind of okay uh, and much more than okay in certain uh, cases, it's just uh, that they're happy with what they have. So they don't really need. 
big increases in wages uh, to to feel happy. I guess that's what it is. It's, and the hard data is pretty good too. I mean, the Richmond Fed today was was off the charts. I wouldn't call it hard data. It's well, still right, a survey. Right. Closer <laughs> from, from more firmish right. than. Uh, but the hard data, like look at uh, consumer spending, and we're going to get some numbers later on this week. Uh, it's not accelerating that much. It's okay. It's growing, mm-hmm. and GDP overall is growing, and. Uh, but it's not doing something extraordinary. So it's still okay. There's but, still a gap between yeah, the... Uh, but the, the survey data is definitely uh, but way Yelena, ahead. Would you, Yelena, would you say that actually the hard data is starting to pick up? We're starting to see that handoff, that, that soft mm-hmm. data is starting to fuel a pickup in, in real economic activity? Modest, moderate, these are the <laughs> words to describe it. Uh, you could be a Fed chair with that type of language. Oh, yeah. right That's there. what they, they keep using. And we're going to get the beige book again. <laughs> oh, and yeah, that's going to say moderate. I always say the soft data is how you feel about the world around you and the hard data is how things actually are and and people feel better about the world around them apparently. Yeah. Yelena Shiletieva of Bloomberg Intelligence, thank you. And Michael Regan, our senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Life, thank you very much. Just to get you up to speed on that Brexit breaking news, negotiators reached agreement in principle on the EU's demand for settlement ahead of a meeting next week between both sides. This is according to The Telegraph, citing unidentified people with knowledge of the matter. Terms agreed at a meeting in Brussels late last week. The final figure is being deliberately left open to negotiations seen between 45 billion euros and 55 billion euros, depending on how each side calculates output. So it's said, according to the Telegraph, that the UK and, and the EU are said to agree on the Brexit divorce bill. The final sum, though, still up for negotiation. We get in there slowly. For the City of London, you have been listening to The Cable. This is Bloomberg Radio. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This is The Cable. Mm-hmm.